1: The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.
0: So Lucas, welcome. Welcome to uh, another Friday during the uh, (laughs) coronavirus. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks, Mark. Yeah, really, really um, excited to be here today. (laughs) Nice, nice. Let's get right to it. So tell me about your your story. Why are we talking? How did you get here? Because I think it's an interesting one and one that I think a lot of people could learn from that they, you know, probably are going to be surprised hearing. So no tell tell us a little bit about how you how you came to be here yeah
1: sure man so um i guess my journey into biohacking started out with um you know i, I struggled with like reflux um and heartburn when i was pretty young and um you know i was fortunate enough that my uh, you as well my my uh my dad was a pharmacist and you know i thought i had the absolute privilege and the luxury that i had access to uh, you know, reflux medications and, you know, I started using them at the age of like 16. Um, and you know, it sort of was like a mask that I could, you know, I could basically eat whatever I wanted and then I could just take a, a PPI and then, you know, come out the other end fine with no symptoms. Um, and then I started looking deeper into it and thinking like, right, this is not sustainable solution? Like what, what's the root cause of this reflux? Um, and that's when I sort of just delved into the whole biohacking space and then just, you know, started experimenting with different like bitter herbs and things like that. And then just found out that ultimately I needed to raise my stomach acid, not lower it. Um, and then over time it literally just disappeared. So I guess that was, um, you know, that was my journey. I sort of just fell in love with, um, you know, researching, spending hours on PubMed and just um, some underground biohacking forums and things like that. Um, geeking out. Just geeking out, man. Like I spent hours on um, on Reddit when yeah. I was when I was yeah. a bit younger as well. Like I'm um, always posting cool stuff. In fact, people can stalk my older content. If they just search uh, Loxo 55, they oh. can filter through my posts and there's some pretty epic um, posts there. So, yeah
0: yeah well yeah it's it's interesting that so many things that we're we're told to believe and so many things that 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 people do believe is is actually opposite of the case mm. and you know i had the same experience where i fix it myself and you know and then you, you've come to find out 90 percent of people with this condition have too little stomach acid yeah 10 percent of people have have excessive and it's real but you know, telling everyone that they need to reduce stomach acid can be counterproductive, Mm. Uh, educational to say the least. Mm. That said, tell us about your story with uh, one in particular, you you wrote a great article that I read and shared in my, my group and I got a ton of comments and it was surprising to me. uh, Just seeing how many people had that experience that you, that you had. So Tell us a little bit about going through that experience. And I think it's uh, I think it's surprising for a lot of people.
1: Mm, yeah. So you're referring to the ashwagandha. Yeah. yeah. So um, about four years ago, um, I was working for a nootropic company here in Melbourne and, you know, putting together, experimenting with different formulations um, and, you know, I received a sample of this particular ashwagandha, the KSM-66 form. Um, And I remember receiving it and excited to try it. Um, And I I do remember the very first time I tried it. And I definitely remember something very distinct that happened the first time I tried it, um, where I noticed like a very strong acute anxiolytic effect, um, like this different, just a very strong. And at the time, I'd been experimenting with heaps of other compounds. And this one in particular really just hit a different part of my brain that I was like, right, this is, um, this is a bit unusual. Um, and then I remember like a few days later thinking like I noticed that my personality was a little bit different. I was like, right, I'm starting to behave a little bit different differently. Like, um, I'm a little bit more like not subdued, but more like depersonalized, like not, not feeling myself, um, like detached, From my emotions. And that translated to PSSD symptoms as well. So, like, blunted orgasm um, upon ejaculation, like zero sensation down there. And I was like, right, this is, um, yeah, this is becoming a little bit troubling and a little bit alarming. Um, And I sort of just pushed on and thought, right, it'll just disappear. It should just go away. Um, And then, you know, months and months down the track, symptoms were still persistent. Um, and then I did some research online and was lucky enough that I came across some other dudes that had also, um, been affected in the exact same way. And we started brainstorming like, right, why is this happening? What's the mechanism? What's the pharmacology behind it? Um, and we, we realized that what it does is the ashwagandha, um, actually decre- desensitizes the 5-HD1A um, receptors. So it's like a type of serotonin receptor that a lot of the SSRIs also desensitize. Um, those,
0: are, those are the antidepressant drugs for yeah. That's with that term.
1: Yeah. And um, ultimately, like we realize it's also uh, decreasing the mRNA expression of these um serotonin receptors so we're talking like epigenetic changes you know this is and this is why I was so troubling and so concerning at the time because I was like shit like if i you know done some semi permanent i wouldn't i wouldn't say damage but alteration like cuz it I, it didn't feel like damage my cognition was preserved i was fine it was just there was an element of detachment from all aspects of my emotions and i felt sort of apathetic you know, blunted rewards, even like things from caffeine. Um, uh, my response to caffeine was blunted. My response to other stimulants was also blunted. I was like, "This is and that excitatory thrill that you have, like that that just disappeared." I was like, "This is like this compound has robbed me of like a, it's robbed a part of me." Um. Yeah. And so, yeah, I posted an article on Medium and I collected and I've been collecting data ever since then. Oh, I'm scanning Reddit. I get messages on Reddit every day um, of people saying they had the exact same experience and I'm just basically just trying to vocalize it and, and get people to become more aware that this is a real issue from just because just it's natural doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, there's real side effects. So that was... um. That really cascaded into me, like researching the absolute crap out of like the brain and understanding these. I knew I I was always focused on dopamine, but but then I really wanted to understand, right? What the what what are these serotonin receptors doing, and how are they influencing how we feel? And like, because you know, there's so many different. There's like 14 different serotonin receptors. Like, what what do they do, and which herbs also react uh, interact with them?
0: Yeah. Well, I think uh, people tend to think in absolutes. I, I talk about this a lot, you know, this, this, this black or white, all or nothing, you know, natural versus synthetic. And it's not always that simple. You know, there, some of these can have side effects just because it's not uh, synthetic does not mean that it's that it absolutely is side effect free. Mm. So you know we have to be careful when we look at things from these complex equivalents you know x means y no it it, it can and 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 does more often than not but that that 's not a hundred percent so you know making distinctions within categories is something that you know it, as americans we're we 're terrible at and and we blink at everything and uh, i think I think your story is a is a telling one that that you should look for interactions as well. Um, you know, how, how do you know what you're taking might, you know, may or may not interact with something else? I, I have a story myself. I, I, I gave myself serotonin syndrome. I got lucky, uh, but, you know, reckless. Uh, this is when I didn't know what I was doing and I, I would slap myself for doing it. But, uh, you know, know what you're taking and know what the dosage and know what the you know, know what your interactions and side and potential side effects are before yep. you, you, you need to scramble to try to find an answer for the oh shit, what's happening?
1: Yeah, yeah. Do the research yourself first.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So your background is on is in the exercise work um, science space, and um, you know, obviously, we have a a, a weight epidemic uh, in, in, you know, some countries worse than others, but, uh, let's talk about, uh, muscle, um, and, and fat loss.
1: Mm, sure. So, um, I guess my interest in muscle growth and fat loss sort of stemmed from, you know, playing professional soccer. Um, so I played, you know, for 15 years and back then, like I was, I think the very first sort of like supplement that I was experimenting with was actually astaxanthin. You're familiar with?
0: Oh yeah, of course. I, I, I love curl It's one of my top,
1: top, yeah. top. Yeah. Yeah, and I um I, I noticed that you know um when I first started loading astaxanthin, you know I think it was four milligrams. I always had it with like a fatty meal, um before training, and I I it was without a doubt impacting my endurance. Like I I had definite benefit, like better endurance on the soccer field. My running time to exhaustion was improved. Um. I just felt, yeah, like general, not a stimulant sort of effect. I just felt like metabolically I was more efficient um, and also less out of breath as well. I felt like it was helping with like um, breathing capacity and whether or not that's just due, due to its potent antioxidant effect, which I think it may have just been. Um, yeah, that sort of, that really sparked my interest. I was like, right, these this, this compound's cool. What else is out there? And that's where like I just went down the rabbit hole and started looking into different compounds, um, experimenting with different compounds. Um, I fell in love with Alcar as well back then. Um, I really respond. Can, can you, um, say it, uh, acetyl l um, for those listening. So basically I noticed that, you know, when I had that, my decision making on the soccer field was improved. Mm-hmm. And I also felt just mentally way sharper and also, way less mental fatigue as well when I was playing, um, you know, at the end of the game, I was still, I always still had a little bit reserve in reserve. Like I always had a little bit left in the tank. Um, so yeah, really enjoyed using those compounds. And then I just, yeah, delved into like more and more into like peptides, uh, research chemicals and, um, also nootropics as well. So yeah, I was always in, interested in like infusing, how can we infuse nootropics to improve sports performance. Um, and that's where I started looking into like pre-workouts. Um, you know, I started making an, uh, like an Excel sheet of like all the different ingredients out there, like literally thousands. Um, I was just like, and just jotting down like what they do, how they work. So what they do, evidence, mechanism of action. Um, but then, you know, that's all theory. So that's all theory. But then the other side to that was like, right, this is what it looks like on paper. My turn to experiment. Like I needed to try it. I don't. I know we spoke about got to do your research first, which we, which I do. But I always wanted to experience the compound because it's different when you read something on paper to actually experiencing it. Because then you can you your memory consolidation is stronger when you do something right. Um, sure. The more senses involved, is it like more like auditory? kinesthetic um the more senses involved in in an experience the stronger the the learning effect um is as well so yeah i um you yeah, know i got pretty fascinated into like peptides and, and and one in particular um was life-changing as well um bpc157
0: um you familiar with that one i'm on it right now i, I, I just had surgery yeah
1: yeah yeah um well that Exactly that that particular compound um, healed my torn meniscus in two weeks, yeah. um, symptom free, completely didn't have to have surgery, um, and that was through oral consumption as well. That wasn't even injection. Um,
0: and at the what, same, what, what, what dose? Because I mean, of, of of anything in the whole peptide specific space, I, I've never seen such a range uh, and and a lack of cer- uncertainty, lack of certainty across the board. What dose were you using?
1: I think I was hovering between 200 micrograms to 250 micrograms. That's it. Wow. Orally. Um, But I had that twice a day, so morning and night. Um, And I remember, dude, the first time I tried it, I think it was that night I slept. I tracked my sleep on my orary. It was the very first time I seen my deep sleep go past three hours. It was three hours and 12 minutes. And I was like, this is remarkable. And I remember waking up the next day, going to university, feeling super clear headed. Like it's like somebody's just gone
0: and cleaned out all the cobwebs. Um, yeah. It, it, it seems to, it seems to uh, other than just injuries, it, it seems to have for people, I, I, I haven't experienced this myself, but it seems to have uh, repair for uh, dopamine and GABA. And, yeah. Uh, it, it seems to repair those two. Pathways uh, yeah. above and beyond really anything else. So,
1: Yeah, and, and also um, there's a study in mice where it protected against serotonin syndrome as well. Right. Which, um, but it also interacts, I mean, I don't know the pathways too well, but it interacts with the nitric oxide system in the brain as well. Because nitric oxide is, um, yeah, we, we talk about it from a blood flow perspective and, you know, blood pressure, which. You
0: and you and I know very well, um, but endothelial versus versus iNos and yes, and, and and you're absolutely right, and it's yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly, um,
0: and yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of compounds
1: that um, a lot of botanicals, like um, cinnamon, for example, alters iNos, um, and you know, but the, the healthy one that we want to preserve and and support is eNos, yeah. Mm-hmm. Endothelial.
0: Well, it, it, as far as I know, and I haven't been able to find anything, and I think this is a really interesting topic, uh, or at least supplement, uh, is agmatine. It blocks N NOS and iNOS, so you, you're you're blocking basically your inflammatory and your glutam- gluta, uh, glutamate, yeah. um, excessive glutamate, which basically means you know your neurotoxicity. So yeah. it, 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 it blocks that within nitro nitric oxide oxide synthase but as well it's blocking your inflammation is in you know a relationship to all kinds of different uh diseases mm. so it's pretty me it, it, it I, it's really surprising you don't see it come up that often yeah from a um you mean from like a a longevity. I mean, there's a lot of interesting issues. Well, what, I, what I was at, where I was going, that was a terrible question. Um, where I was going with that is, are you aware of anything else that, that has that unique uh, action where it's, it's, it's improving the, the good and blocking the bad within, within that enzyme?
1: Yeah. There's one um, seaweed, which I've spoken about before um, that seems to be beneficial for, Um, preserving nitric oxide but um, antagonizing or blocking the nitrites. You know how nitrates, the the peroxynitrite, which is the harmful metabolite of nitric oxide, this seaweed um, powerfully raises nitric oxide but scavenging peroxynitrite, which means that it's it's beneficially raising nitric oxide um, but also counteracting the negatives of peroxynitrite, which is, powerful at causing oxidative stress Um, and it's funny because that particular seaweed is is one that i pretty much put all my clients on um, particularly if they're guys because it's got the best um, therapeutic efficacy for restoring erectile function because it's um there was a study i don't know i can't find the actual original article but it was a study where they compared it head-to-head with Viagra. Um, and it actually outperformed Viagra across multiple domains um, so yeah I mean that that seaweeds from Japan uh, it's called Eclonia kava
0: yeah, yeah I've heard of them
1: yeah um you know they've spent you know millions 30 30 million dollars plus worth of research
0: I believe it's uh it was in my I, I do lists I believe it didn't quite make my top 15 blood pressure, but I believe it was in the top 20 antihypertensive compounds. ACE
1: Ace inhibitor. um,
0: Yeah. And and it also, I think, has been linked to uh, restoring hair growth. And here's something really interesting. Uh, They're they're now finding that uh, blood flow and cutaneous blood flow, of course, to the skin is the single biggest factor obviously men have something else going on, but, but women, and you're seeing this right now, a, a huge explosion in women that that are experiencing hair loss. Well, um, that compound in particular, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, but I don't think I am. Uh, that one has a, uh, has a study actually uh, which is pretty unique because there's not that much that shows it. So, uh, I, I suspect it, the the takeaway here is too much nitric oxide. In other words, it, iNOS n nNOS is inflammatory and blocks obviously blood flow to <laughs> to you know to the hair and, and skin.
1: Yeah, um, and part of the um, therapeutic effect on preserving hair um, health is through its anti-fibrotic properties as well. Um, yeah. and it's also, yeah, I mean, powerful DHT blocker. Um, but it's ironic cause I mean, you've heard of like the, the side effects for guys, you know, DHT blockers causing.
0: Oh yeah. Salt, salt palmetto, believe it or not, it, like that, that one's just as brutal as the, uh, the, the, uh, minoxidil and the other one.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's uh, the saw palmetto, um, and then you know, nettle root. I don't think nettle root's too bad uh, in terms of its DHT blocking effect because it has the. Um, I think it really matters where it's blocking the DHT because it, if it's peripherally, like external from the brain, then it's right. unlikely to induce the um, the, side the side
0: effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty gnarly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some pretty scary papers on, um, I mean, I've joined a lot of the forums where they talk about, um, PFS post finasteride syndrome, um, or post Propecia. Um, and some of the guys like we're talking years later, they're still suffering from a host of side effects. Right. 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 Um, And it's not just related to DHT. We're talking like androgen receptor silencing and changes to gene expressions and right. you know stuffing up the um, uh, the neurosteroids as well like alloprodentalone and things like that it's just crazy yeah,
0: man. yeah. <laughs> FDA approved yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so what about um, you know every I have my list of drugs that I avoid that I would never take and I do generally recommend others don't or at least look what what are some that you, we talked about prilosec which is a ppi proton pump inhibitor what are some ones that make the top of your list to avoid um, i would say uh well, well here why tell, you know for i i know obviously but let's talk about uh, ppis why are they problematic
1: Geez, okay, so starting from the top. So I'm a naturopath, or studying to be a naturopath, Mm -hmm. and we understand that gut health is like first and foremost the most important thing to setting the stage for good health. And by using a proton pump inhibitor, we are directly decreasing stomach acid production, which is incredibly important for three, let's say, three reasons. First one, Protecting against you know harmful bacteria and pathogens uh, found in our food, secondly, it also helps break down our food so breaking down protein and for adequate digestion and then thirdly, we need adequate stomach acid to actually uh, absorb magnesium b12 and iron and without those and there's, there's even more nutrients and without them, health will deteriorate rapidly um, so just by using PPIs, someone can basically cause SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, protein maldigestion, so then they become protein deficient. They're also becoming magnesium deficient, which is going to influence blood pressure, as we mentioned before, and also sympathetic and their stress response, and then B12 and iron, so then there goes your energy. So, you know, just from a single medication, your health can literally deteriorate. Um, so, and it's ironic cause like, you know, there's a particular bitter herb. Um, have you heard of gentian? Yeah. Yeah. Gentians like, dude, this stuff's incredible. Like literally you don't even have to swallow the herb. You can literally just put some in like a couple of drops in like water, swish it around, put it in your mouth
0: like swirl it around the mouth. Ours is called bitters just for if, if there's an American watching it and they actually mix it in drinks. Uh, It's bitters, is it? Yeah. Bitters. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's gentian bitters is the full name, but, but you'll see it in Angostein, Angostura, which is where it comes from in the Caribbean uh, bitters. And I I think what you're talking about, in, in my opinion, I think it could benefit anyone Except for someone that has excessive, which is rare, excessive stomach acid issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that herb, um, even like I said, even without swallowing the actual liquid, you can still get the benefit for reducing reflux just by getting it to expose to the back of your tongue. Like just the bitter principles applied to the the bitter receptors, at the back of the tongue can then trigger like a cascade effect on changing the esophageal tone and um, improving peristalsis so you're getting more movement and then you're triggering stomach acid release and then you just feel that opening like both you and I, we have hernia's yeah, we spoke about this.
0: I don't anymore. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Congrats>. <laughs>
1: um Yeah, I mean, I've still got mine, obviously, but I don't really I don't experience the reflux unless I um, do certain exercises in the gym. Um, particularly like rowing. Geez, mm-hmm. rowing is like the worst um, yeah. for the reflux. It's literally squashing the diaphragm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I guess like I right now I tend to hover around um, artichoke extract as like my preferred bitter. Like my preferred bitter. I have, I have stimulant. Yeah, yeah, I find it's um, I find it's excellent for you know digestion and it's from a TCM. TCM perspective, like traditional Chinese medicine perspective, yeah. um, they can, they really don't have many contraindications for artichoke. Um, you know, all they say is it's, it cools the liver. So when they say it's cooling to the liver, well, well inflammation is heating, is, is warm. So they're saying this is a good herb for reducing liver inflammation. And that just makes sense, man. Like it's it supports bile production and bile is incredibly important for detoxifying the liver and and the gut um but then also from a naturopathic point of view from like a materia medica perspective uh, artichoke is considered hepatotrophic restorative which means that it's literally like a restorative similar to NAC similar to glutathione um it's regenerative to the to the liver um yeah. so i use that as my liver herb of choice and i think everyone should be on some sort of liver support Um, and just for me that's that that's what works well for me i mean i could have chosen milk thistle i could have chosen shizandra, but artichoke seems to just fit nicely for me
0: yeah well i think glutathione is an interesting topic in general uh, i was reading today black seed oil interestingly enough it's, it's probably the strongest uh, glutathione stimulant that, that, uh, you know, that outside of glutathione injections that, that you can take, you know, and uh, of course, what do most people take it for to, you know, to experience the, the, uh, anti-anxiety, uh, relief or, or you have a ton of people in the opioid and or, uh, benzo, uh, recovery community. Yeah. Well, yeah. geez, uh, glutathione, you know, when, when the dust settles after this, uh, after this COVID thing, that might be one of the three pathways that actually absolutely destroys the, the virus because they've already found that that suppressed glutathione makes you incredibly vulnerable to um, adverse, uh, ad- adverse events with respect to uh, the, the infection. So I think it's interesting that, that we're not talking about glutathione and there's two major enzymes uh, that, that regulate and control this too. Um, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, are you, are you a fan of, um, like other, what other biohacks are you, um, interested in for like supporting glutathione? Are there any other like compounds you like?
0: I'm, I'm basically on the the NAC. I, I do, a medium dose, I don't, you know, I, I, I sporadically will go high dose when it's needed, but, but that's really it. Um, my thought, uh, obviously, black seed oil, um, but, I, but I think it's pretty well covered. Uh, and I, I think if you support the other enzymes that, that are involved, I think you can be pretty solid with respect to uh, glutathione, unless, of course, you have some sort of deficiency but if you, you remain in health, uh, you should be okay, and you shouldn't need to be doing glutathione injections, like you know a lot of these guys do, uh, that are in the bodybuilding community. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would I'd be open to doing it if it was needed, but I, I don't. Yeah. How about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess my rationale is like, so preserve exogenous glutathione use for when it's really needed. Yeah. So under the circumstances that you've literally induced liver damage um, right. through something, let's say alcohol, or that's when I would call upon exogenous glutathione or, or I've touched or I've experimented with a toxic drug or, or compound, which I know is toxic, but then I'll use something like liposomal glutathione to help at least... Correct some of the damage that has been done, um, but otherwise, at baseline, I recommend using compounds like what you're using and like, like NAC things that aren't directly glutathione itself, but things that increase the production naturally. And you know, artichoke it wouldn't surprise me if artichoke does that, um, you know, vitamin C, liposomal vitamin C, does that as well. Sure. Um, Brazil nuts, you know, plenty of selenium. Okay. Um, Organ meats, jeez, look at them.
0: Like uh, kidney, as well. I think um, I think there's another use for there's two uses uh, there's two uses for NAC uh, that I've found that are interesting. Uh, But but aside from that, I don't have a history of addiction or anything like that. But but it seems to at a high dose be effective for certain addictions. Mm. Seems to be very effective for bipolar almost uh, even not necessarily for anxiety, not necessarily for unipolar depression, but evening someone's mood swings out. Uh, but as well, um, you you see that with with addictions. And I I think at 3000 milligrams, uh, they actually have smoking cessation studies uh, that are coming out now, but I found that 500 milligrams before it's not like I really drink like I used to. Um, but, you know, I, uh, if I have some drinks, I'll I'll take it about thirty minutes before, and it it blocks the toxic effects from, you know, at least reasonably, in theory, uh, seems to have those effects. But uh, the other benefit I found is that it really clears my lungs out, and uh, i I've, I had a post nasal drip for a long time, and it's it's for if I stop taking it, it comes back. So. Yeah, I, I think people take it in too big of a dose, generally speaking. So to, to the end that you're talking about, you could probably benefit from lowering it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Unless, of course, you, you're bipolar, then enjoy.
1: <laughs> well, um, actually, one compound, now that you bring up uh, bipolar, yeah. uh, had a very positive experience with um, uridine monophosphate. Um yeah that was probably like one of the earlier compounds that I experimented with, um, probably around the age of 18, I think. Um, and that compound turned me into a workhorse. Like I was incredibly, I I remember there was a time when I actually, Oh man, it just put me into this incredibly sharp state where I remember going out for lunch with, um, one of my friends and his sister, um, and I literally remember talking at a million miles an hour. And like, I just remember feeling so switched on that, um, oh, I could just, it's almost like I could predict what the other, it was unreal. It's like I felt like I could predict what the other person was going to say and finish their sentence before they even started their sentence. Like, it was just, it was phenomenal back then. I'm um, I I just reading you the cue cards. Yeah. <laughs> Um, haven't had the same experience. I don't really need. I don't really need to use uridine anymore at all because, like, I feel like it's sort of left my brain in a state where it's it's done its job. Like, it's sort of you know with a D two receptor density. Um, uh, I feel I feel like it's sort of left me in like a permanently enhanced state, um, and that's what I like about you know certain nootropics is like. How can you use them for a few, you know, for a few weeks or whatever, and then get off them and still get the benefits? Like still linger. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uridine was, uh, yeah, because I mean, the reason why I brought it up is because there, there was a pretty impressive study where they were using that to treat bipolar, um, and it's just mood stabilizing from my experience. Yeah.
0: Right. 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 Mm. So one thing I, I think, just hit the rewind button. People are probably thinking, you know, there's a lot of people that take ashwagandha or anything else that we could talk about that that you know someone has an adverse or many people have an adverse reaction to. And and someone's saying, well, I, I you know, and this is what it always you always see this is someone will say I I've, I'm having it's you know it's the best thing I've ever taken and I'm doing blah 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 blah, which might absolutely be true and it probably is uh again it's it seems that people want to say that well just because it happened to you uh it 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 didn't happen to me well yes we agree (laughs) so what uh why do you think people compartmentalize in that way when they they look at things and they you know someone you'll have someone that says something and then that they'll say oh well i don't want that to happen to me well first of all there's a whole bunch of things that you a bunch of unknowns that, that you do or don't know so why do you think people like have that jump to conclusion sort of mindset when sorting and filtering over nootropics and and, and supplements
1: it's a really good question um and i think it comes back to just the reductionist mentality that we have like instead of Filtering through all of the material, we like to attach onto something that's like the immediate, the immediate thing. Like they, we jump onto it, um, and we can associate. We can just relate to something when it's more like intensified or like very like one hundred percent. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, you know that that the way the mind works in that regard. Like we'd like to fixate it's like a predefined um, bias. Yeah. And then we like filter out all the information that's not supporting our opinion and focus on that. And then we'll select and hone in. I mean, I, I'm, I'm accountable for doing this. Like, I've done this many, many times, you know, with my own research and over time, um, what's actually happened is I've done a complete 180 degrees. Like I've literally gone from this is good to then now this is shit or this is like really bad. Or like right. something really bad, and then one year later, I come back to readdress it and look at it in a different perspective, and like, wow, this has got potential. Like, oh. right? it's happened to me that many times. And my, my older brother, he's like, man, you you always change your mind. Like, I'm like, well, in my opinion, that's the sign of a of a good scientist because a good scientist will always challenge his current opinion on something, right? right? You're always you're always challenging what you believe because then without doing that, you'll be stuck and you're not open. So I guess like I'm not sure if that's like just my personality type where I'm very open-minded and like I want, I want, I really want to experiment like beyond just what is now. Um, Yeah. I guess that's just like, it's just how I am. Like it's, it's, I'm always critiquing. It's all like, It's not really fault finding, but I guess it's just like, I'm always like reevaluating things and like, how can it be better? How can it be better? Right. right. Almost like a a dopamine dominant state. Hey.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, it seems that that we don't want to, it, it seems that we don't want to be open to the possibility that we might be wrong about our previous conclusions because it feels like we're going backwards when in reality, the opposite might be true.
1: Yeah, there's. Um, I remember having this discussion. Uh, it's there it was like a community. It was called like the less wrong community because <laughs> <laughs> we have to label everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And what is it about us, like as humans, we to not be wrong or to always be right? It's just like yeah it's ego driven right it's just all ego yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting and,
0: and and the reality of the egos it's a beast it's a it's a troll it's a tyrant and we all have one and it's necessary though it's it's there. oh yeah keeps you alive yeah yeah, yeah. but you know and, and i think we can do better and we can always improve but you know it, Short of being short of being grown, short of being raised with wolves and and not learning a language, whatever language you speak, it's impossible not to develop an ego ego because it's it's it arises out of the development of language, the development and learning of language. Yeah. So, I mean, basically everything subjective is is uh, is, is kind of what we come to realize. Well, some of us do at least. Yeah. So. Um, Let's talk about sleep. Cause I know, uh, that's one of your topics that you, you write about a lot. Yeah. So how, how what, what are some keys for optimizing sleep and stupid question? W- w- uh, why is sleep important?
1: Yeah, I guess, well, it's good to start out with like understanding the consequences of poor sleep. So, yeah, I just finished a, a webinar talking about this, um, which we can link in the show notes, but, Essentially, with a poor night, like one single night of sleep deprivation or poor quality sleep can cause a healthy person to be insulin resistant the next day. And that is a major issue for all disease states because, at the core of pretty much all non infectious diseases, insulin resistance appears to be one of the hallmark factors that's you know influencing the progression of that disease. So you know, for example, and this this is where we can sort of
0: touch on um I will get to the metformin a bit later, but you know um, what, if I'm gonna hit pause. Can you talk about sensitivity versus resistance? Because I, I think there's an important distinction for, for the average person to, to really understand.
1: Yeah. So from my research, it appears that insulin resistance is a state where the body is releasing an abnormal, like a, an elevated amount of insulin because the blood sh- the, sh- the sugar is unable to get into the cell, like the, the muscle or the liver. Um, and that's causing... An increase so insulin's like the key that unlocks the lock to allow sugar to get into the cell. So in an insulin resistant state, you know the locks. It's more difficult for the insulin to. The body requires more and more insulin to actually get sugar into the cell to lower the blood sugar. Um, whereas somebody who's very insulin sensitive will have a very, they'll have a very easy time at, Well, um, they're more efficient at channeling sugar out of the bloodstream and into the muscle and the liver or other organs as well, not just the muscle, and the liver, um, but other organs for, you know, ATP synthesis. So, I mean, there's many, there's many symptoms, you know, of, uh, insulin resistance. I think the number one thing would be fatigue, uh, like, like just poor energy or, huh. um, or, um, you know, feeling hungry two to three hours after a high carb meal, um, or you know, you know they can have magnesium deficiency as well because we know that insulin, high insulin, can strip the body of um, essential minerals and vitamins. Um, and so, yeah, going back to the sleep aspect, so one poor night's sleep, like let's say you know six hours or five, five to six hours of sleep, well, that's already going to raise your cortisol the next morning. So you're you're going to have a higher cortisol, you know. Awakening response, you're going to have increased um, blood sugar levels as well, and your ability to shuttle sugar is compromised. So, um, that's only one aspect of how you know sleep can be detrimental, like poor quality sleep can affect our you know blood sugar and insulin. But you know, we know that poor sleep is linked to you know cardiovascular disease as well, um, and risk for. Cancers as well. So um, and it's funny you, you mentioned earlier uh, melatonin. Um, you know how melatonin is potent anti-cancer um, supplement, and you know when amongst, we
0: uh, amongst other things,
1: yeah. Well, they and you know for activating the antioxidant pathways, uh, glutathione, detoxifying fluoride from the pineal gland. Um, so many beneficial effects. Um, so. I guess for the everyday person, I think the number one thing that they can do right now is just to optimize their light in their environment. So first thing in the morning, if you can, try and get some bright light exposure, preferably from the sun, um, within 30 minutes of... If you wake up before the sun rises, then get a light box or get
0: something bright. How many minutes would you say? Because I'm sure that someone's thinking that.
1: Uh, well the body, it just needs, you know, five to 10 minutes in the morning. It it won't need much. It would actually be an instant, like for the circadian rhythm entrainment, the, you wouldn't need much. Um, you would literally just need literally a second because that second is enough to hit the photoreceptors and then trigger all the downstream effects and then help with that melatonin signaling that night as well. Um, uh, on the contrary, we have like avoiding blue light in the evening. Like, you know, uh, blue light um, has been shown to cause mitochondrial dysfunction and also suppress melatonin production. Um, and, you know, a simple biohack to get around that is to, you know, use the Flux or Iris, you know, blue blocking softwares on computers, on your phones, and even, you know, wearing blue blocking glasses. It's probably the my number one most consistent biohack that I've been doing for the past like five years is like seven o'clock every night or like six thirty every night. I'll chuck on my, I'll put on my blue blocking glasses. And you know, three hours later I'm yawning, I'm ready to go to bed. So, yeah,
0: yeah. um,
1: yeah, it's a pretty cool drug free intervention.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: What are some of your other favorite biohacks? Well, actually like, um, just getting really cold, uh, like before bed, um, just feeling like, you know, cooling the room down. Um, I might have a shower. It's funny. Cause you know, most people get really energized and invigorated from cold showers. Um, yeah. but I find I, I do as well, but if I have it about 90 minutes
0: before bed, I actually find that it helps with my deep sleep. That, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, really- it's the same, it's the same thing. It, it- it's energizing for about, you yeah, about 90 minutes and then, yeah. and then it's lights out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and yeah, I find that's effective. I've used the acupressure map as well. The, um, the spikes that's good, but you get tolerance to it really quick. Like I could only use it like once a week because the second night it's like my endorphins, they, they know they, they no longer release after frequent usage. Yeah, I like to use GABA every now and then. Um, You know, there's debates whether or not it can cross the blood brain barrier. Um, But from my experience, whether or not I have a leaky blood brain barrier um, due to the 5G network, you know, EMFs and stuff like that, um, I don't know. But it, it definitely exerts an anxiolytic and sedative effect when I use it in moderation, you know, once or twice a week. Again, right. tolerance is developed super fast with GABA. And then, you know, there's there's a... I used to use magnesium, but I don't really need to use it at all anymore. Like, I'm fine. I feel fine without it. Um, but if I ever need, like, a bit of cortisol suppression, then I'll use, like, magnesium or magnolia or lemon balm. You know, there's so many anxiolytic... Sure, herbs out there,
0: right? So we talked about drugs that that you that are not good, not pro healthy, pro health. Is is there anything that that you are? You know, th- th- there's a few that, that are few and far between, but there's some decent um, medications out there that I think a lot of people are surprised to hear about. Uh, because they don't, you know, they're used to hearing the the, the crappy, you know, statin drugs or or antihistamines or uh, PPIs or SSRIs. But, but is there any uh, pro health type of drugs that that you think are worth uh, discussing with the doctor?
1: Yeah, I think um, one that seems to stand the test of time is the one that's been probably the one medication that's been studied the most in the history of medicine and that is metformin um and the reason I I am a huge fan of strategic use of metformin um is because you know I truly do believe that the benefits outweigh, outweigh the risks um there are risks associated with metformin use um and I'm not going to deny that however on the time, there's strict criteria in which I believe metformin is conducive or productive to maintaining good health. And that is, one, the next day or the next day after poor night's sleep, like a really poor night's sleep. I'm talking like you've been out to a party or you've been out, you know, to a bar or clubbing and stuff like that. Then the next day I'm like, right, I, no matter what I do, I'm going to be insulin resistant today. So what can I do to really jack up my sensitivity? And that is like uh, metformin. So that's number one. Number two is is purely for when, and we all have binge, binge, binge meals every now and then. Um, so for me, like, you know, once every couple of weeks or maybe like on the weekend or whatever, I'll have like, you know, I'll literally binge. Like I'll have like biscuits or, you know, chocolates, you know, and because I want to enjoy myself. So part of me is like, right, so if I'm going to do that, how can I have my cake and eat it too? So that's where, you know, I call upon Metformin. Um, and the other time is when I have, when I cannot train. So I'll use Metformin on days that I can't train. So on rest days, because there's no need if I, I'm training every, I'm pretty much training daily right right now. So like you know, I'll have a rest day every now and then, like, oh. um, and so metformin's best to use on rest days as well because it's um, going to stimulate AMPK. And uh, it also,
0: what I've found, for, can, can you explain in a- a- PK?
1: Yeah, so, um, so we've got a- AMPK and mTOR, so these are two metabolic regulators, um, and AMPK is directly involved in setting like cellular energy status. So um, anything that activates AMPK is going to switch on the genes that reduce insulin resistance and also promote glucose oxidation. Um, and also the best way to think of AMPK is to think of fasting. So fasting is probably the, 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 the most powerful way to stimulate AMPK. Um, and it's ironic because metformin in and of itself i call that fasting in a tablet because i actually what i also find is when i take metformin it makes fasting so much easier because it the other thing about that is not many people know the the effects in the brain that metformin can reduce uh neuropeptide y and also alter like um uh, neuronal neurochemistry to really suppress appetite signaling and um Reduce hedonic eating as well, um, and so when I take metformin, it just makes it so much easier to fast. I could fast for eighteen hours without, literally, without looking like thinking of food. Um, so I find that's quite effective for that. And the other benefit for me personally is that metformin does what licorice does, um, and licorice is known to support cortisol. You know, it's a it's a potent adaptogen yeah um and it's an adaptogen because it increases the conversion of cortisone to cortisol at, like it, it has a sparing effect on cortisol and yeah. for someone like me with very low cortisol which we can link it back all the way to ashwagandha because we know that ashwagandha also lowers cortisol and any any sort of compound that lowers cortisol for me makes me feel worse um right. and I mean, I've had blood, you know, I've had Dutch tests performed and you know, testing and things like that. Um, The good part about metformin is that it mimics licorice because it actually helps the body regenerate cortisol. Um, And so, people are like, "What? An anti-diabetic medication that increases cortisol? Like, how does that work?" (laughs)
0: um,
1: For me, that's that's a that's good. I mean, because the way I can tell, man, is because like when I take metformin. I noticed that my morning cortisol awakening response is stronger. Like I can you know when you wake up and you you need that cortisol burst to get you out of bed. When I use metformin I notice that in the morning I it's way easier to get out of bed. I feel more energized when I get out of bed when I take metformin.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, closing thoughts, what, what is one thing that you see and, and we're in a a lot of nootropic communities together. What, What is, what is one thing that you see that you think could benefit the average person that is into health optimization, whether it's optimizing their health or their, uh, brain function, mood, uh, overall and in general what do you think is one thing that these guys should at least consider adopting as part of their overall strategy
1: i like that question i would start with something extremely simple and really like simple but big bang for buck like i'm talking like like significant changes for me it would be like getting your steps in, like get just any like low intensity walks, just even walking. You know, um, first thing in the morning, if you can get up and do some sort of movement, it, even if it's on the bike or just something, just get moving because that really will. I mean, we can go into the neurophysiological response, but uh, to it, but we'll keep it simple. It's just a, the body is designed to move, and you know, I think the morning like walking is maybe after meals you can do beneficial effects from that. Um, just in general, like for boosting overall health, get your steps in. It's like, it's that simple. Get 10,000 steps.
0: Do you cringe? And when you see these guys that, you know, they, and it's the same guy and and he's, you know, he's asked about 17,000 different substances and 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 you know what is his activity looks like and and yeah i'm hoping hopefully one of these will work and and maybe one will but it's like i i mean it, i don't know what kind of met i'm at a loss for a metaphor but it's just talk about shortchanging yourself yeah i just
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well they're the guys that uh they don't want to do the work you know right. it's But then it's like, well, is it that they're
0: lazy or is it that they don't have the dopamine to do the work? (laughs) Or a combination of both. Yeah, you know, like I think a third also is that they don't believe it's the magic pill theory. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm I'm gonna let's go spend eight hours tonight trying to find the next whatever it is. And yeah, I mean I, I just I mean I for someone that 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 lived for many years, being uh, horribly depressed and, and and overcoming it, I mean, I know I have like three or four buttons. I I can make my I can bring back every single symptom in three days. I, I need to stop doing a few to you know literally three or four things, and and I and I tell this to people, and it's it's like I don't think I don't think they believe me. And yeah, the the supplements are important, and the the you know the diet's important. I, I, most of these guys aren't on diets, but it's it you, you know there's there's four markers here, and you know the the supplements are only one of them. So it, even if you nail that, you, you're still well shortchanged.
1: Mm, so true, man. So true. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production.
0: Say what you want.